psychotic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Catherine. So on Monday, I have a, um, what's it called? Pedicure, facial, laser hair removal. No, I'm sitting in on, I'm doing a panel (gasps) discussion. I'm on a panel. Oh my gosh. How important am I? You are important (laughs) and smart and you have good ideas. Thank you. And things to say that I want to hear. So good. (laughs) Whoever put you on that, smart. Yeah. So I'm really excited about it. So I'm not going to be sorry, here on Monday. I'm sorry. I was so aggressively. It's okay. You're you. like, you're smart. <laughs> God damn it. No. So oh, I'm not going to be here on Monday. I'm going to work. Uh, Maybe I'm plugged in weird. Remotely. So I won't get to see your face. No, not on Monday. I hate that. I'm sorry. Do I need a track for you? Um, Maybe if you want to. Yeah, I can do that. Okay. What's wrong? I don't know. What's wrong? Why does it sound... Okay, I sound better? Yeah, I guess. Huh. Weird. I didn't mess anything up when I was sitting over there, so... No, and it's turned way up. I don't know. Now mm. I sound loud. <laughs> now I'm too loud. It's just however annoying my own voice sounds to me is how uh, the volume level. I get that. <laughs> There's Pretty a lot annoying. Of, a lot of mornings I'm like, oh, you sound ridiculous. Turn yeah. it down while I'm doing like my weathers and stuff. Mm-hmm. No. You're like, I'm you not listening stupid. to this, bitch. We're not doing this. Um, Idiot. <clears throat> yeah, so <laughs> I haven't told Mark yet, but I'm just going to be like, yo, I just got an email. I'm sitting in on this panel on Monday, so I'm not going to be here. He's not going to be here. He's anyway, not going to be so here. So, matter. yeah, it does not matter. But I put it on the calendar already. <laughs> yes. I love like, you. Um, we're not doing that. No. <laughs> pass. Hard pass. So, like, I'm going to go sit on this panel and not worry about anything else. I work from home. I'll do work from home, but. I mean, yeah, that's, I got to do my, I have so much to do still. What is going on? I feel that. It's like. It's never. My, I looked at my to-do list today. I have, like, three things from Monday. Mm-hmm. No, three things from Friday and, like, four things from Monday. And it's, like, I cannot check any of them off yet. Right. Because none of them are done or even close to being done. And it's, like, yeah. why is this so, so much happening right here? I'm telling you. Oh, my God. I need to look at this. Okay, so I know we're not. Are we jumping into I have to. I was just looking at looking for something to reference Something I had been doing, mm-hmm. and um, I searched. I searched Amazon Prime Dead Children. I'm sorry. <gasps> I'm sorry. Oh no. I know, but uh, a coloring book, a picture book, <gasps> came up that says that was called Dead Children Playing. No, I don't know. No, about it's this. not. Yeah. Stop it. It's like a joke. It must be. It's got to be like. But I don't. That's... I just was like, oh, well, let's see what this is. It's got to be like that sausage party movie, right? It's gotta... <laughs> And it's like, mom, can I watch that? No, because they say fuck every other word. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, this is Off Air with Emily and Patra. Hey, what's what up? What up? Um, if you couldn't figure it out, because we, you know, we just chatted for we 10 minutes before. We just jumped in with the rambling business. It's fine. It is. It's totally fine. Um, what's up? Hey. I'm Emily. I'm Patra. And we're back again. You know. Yep. You know the spiel. Um, yeah. 
Do we want to talk about what we did this last weekend? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know we're recording a little later than usual, but it's fine. It's fine. So we are we talking about or we're talking about the wine and beer fest. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just I like mean, make sure we we're on the same page. Went bowl for kids. We went so, to bowl for kids' sake. Great. Yeah. Good organization. We care about kids. We care about big brothers, big sisters. Boring. (laughs) (laughs) So we, yeah, this weekend was on Saturday was great. So Mm -hmm. I brought Christopher with me down here to Columbus. I loved it. And we had a great time. Um, So yeah, we went bowling. We did bowl for kids sake, Mm -hmm. um, which was awesome. Got a free t-shirt out of it, which is great. Always a good thing. Love that. Um, And then we, I took Christopher to... The garage for lunch. Mm-hmm. We both had a really good lunch. I retroactively tipped our waiter from the other day. Oh my gosh, I appreciate that so much. That we we so a couple days ago, like two maybe a week or two ago, mm-hmm. Patrick and I went to the garage for lunch and we didn't have any cash and he had already closed our tab, so we couldn't like we couldn't put it on our put cards. it on our cards or anything. Uh. So we were like wrote on the receipt I owe you <laughs> like from Patrick and Emily, and we were like oh crap. And then we went. A couple days later to mm-hmm. go have lunch. Didn't he wasn't, he wasn't even there. there? So we were like, "Well, shit! How are we? We right. didn't know his name because we the same tab that it was like the same register name. Yeah, we thought it was his name on the receipt, but we got the same name on the other receipt with a completely different. We right. had a waitress this time, and we were like, "Well, shit! What was it? Who? Who is he then?" Yeah. And then we went on Saturday, and I was like, "Oh yes!" So I wrote it a little note on a dirty napkin because that's all I had. And I was like. <laughs> This is our IOU from Patrick and I. So sorry, but thanks. You're great. And then after that, we went to the Divine Wine and Beer Fest held at the Commons in Columbus and got drunk off of wine samples and beer samples. And it was really busy. It was so busy. Had an awesome turnout. There were so many people, so many different like vendors. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I bought really something cool. there. Did I didn't you? even show you, did no, I? No, what did you get? I got a bottle opener <gasps> that's like cast iron, and it's a bear's head. Is that what you posted? Oh, you posted, yeah. it posted it on Snapchat, my Instagram, Instagram story. Oh, one of those, oh, one of one of those twenty-four hour go away <laughs> things. Yeah, <laughs> but it's so neat. I haven't, I haven't installed it anywhere in my home yet. But it's gonna go in the doorway to the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, because I'll just leave the kitchen. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Oh, mama. Yes. I love that. Anyway, I had a blast. Yeah, it getting, was so much fun. Getting kind of drunk with Emily and Christopher. It was kind of yeah. great. It was a good time. And then after we left there, mm-hmm. because he he was getting a little drunk. <laughs> I loved it. At and one point, I couldn't remember his last name, and I called him uh, by Emily's last name. And he, yeah. he like, two. it took him, like, two or three full seconds to be like, hey, that's, that's like, backwards. That's backwards. <laughs> that's not right. It was great. It was cute. Um, we went to, okay, I'm probably going to pronounce it right. Is it Granny Bees? Granny Bees. Granny I saw Bees. your picture. Okay, yeah, so we went to Granny Bees because Christopher's into, like, into video games, which mm-hmm. we talked about. And he said a couple of the gamers that he follows that, like, live in Indiana have, like, made special trips down to Granny Bees. Oh, my and he's God. Like, I, I want to go. That. He's like, do you know where it's at? I was like, I have no idea. I live... Where I just moved from, very yeah. close. Yeah. Yeah, we and can walk to Granny B's. We have walked to Granny B's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we went there, poked around for a little bit, um, and then we left. And then we went home, yeah. and we grabbed Redbox on the way home. Yes. So we got a movie called Tag. 
which oh, yeah. is based off of a true story about these guys that have played ta- a, a never-ending game for like 30 years, a never-ending game of tag oh, for like 30 years straight. So it's based off this true story, and like uh, Ed Helms is in it, and oh, what are the other guys' names? Um, I only remember Ed Helms. Ed Helms, and a, a, there's a couple other like famous, yeah, kind of famous comedian and types. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is, and it was so funny. And then what I loved at the end, like it was kind of like it was just a very lighthearted movie. Yeah, it was kind of like mm, yeah, I love good. those. That was to be honest, good. yeah. Um. But at the end, they show video of the real guys. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God, I love it. I love it so much. And Christopher's like, yeah. He's we like, can tell. I was, like, more excited about watching these real-life grown <laughs> men play this game than I was, like, the actors portraying it. But I it love was, that. It was funny. And then we also rented Get Out, which I oh. haven't seen yet. Ooh. And the entire time, I was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And both of us were just... Like, jaws to the floor the entire time. That's so funny. My son, who's 12 now, Mm -hmm. loves that movie. It's so good. He is. It it was like, you know, when you were, like, you know, starting to grow up and mature and you find that one movie, you're like, holy crap, I get this and this is insane. That's what it was like for him. And he, that's how he feels about it. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. It was so good. And afterwards, so we started watching Schitt's Creek on Netflix not too (laughs) long ago. I have heard great things. Oh, my God. It's Perfect. Is like it? it is. I think it's probably my favorite TV show I've ever watched. Oh snap! Yeah. Oh my and it's gosh. Just, okay. It's another one of those things. that's like tag. It's like just real, really lighthearted, mm-hmm. and it's so stupid and so funny. It's just, it's really good. I love that. So after Get Out, Christopher's like, we went to bed, but he's like, can we like watch some Shit's Creek or something? Because I can't. I'm freaking out. <laughs> he's like, and I, I am like, upset. Yeah. So we did that, and so that was Saturday, and it was just like it was just one of those days that like lasted. It was a really long day, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was a really long good day, and it just lasted, and it was like, oh, this is great. And then Sunday, I cleaned the house. I deep cleaned the house. Nice. And was like, get it. Get it. I cleaned the toilets. Oh, my gosh. I cleaned, like, the the baseboards. Cleaned the house. Man. And then, Mm. so it was like, 45 minutes after I'm done, okay? Her face right now. I got up. We got up at 30? Mm-hmm. No, maybe it was a little, I would think it was a little later. It was probably like 9.30 when we got up on Sunday. Mm-hmm. From 9.30 pretty much to, I don't know, one in the afternoon, I had been cleaning. Ugh. And I mean, I went from, from room to room, cleaned every single room right. in the house. And so I'm, I finally finished and I sit down and I'm watching, I think I started watching Good Girls okay. on Netflix and, because I knew Christopher wouldn't really be into it. Mm-hmm. So I started watching that and then I'm sitting there, and it's, like, literally, like, half hour, 45 minutes after I sit down. And mm-hmm. he comes, and he's—he was out all morning working on the truck in the garage. And he comes inside <laughs> and then starts to organize his game room. And he comes out, and he goes, will you come help me? Because I think you need to get off the couch. Or he's like, I think you need to do something. <laughs> and I was like, um, excuse me. I'm sorry, what? Pardon I said, me? I need to do something. I cleaned your entire house all morning. And he goes, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. He's really cute because he gets, like, confused. Right. <laughs> like, he says he says something, but it comes across, like, it comes across the complete opposite right. of what's he, what he means. He's like, no, that's not what I meant. Oh, He's my like, God. I figured you were still in that mood and still wanted to organize and stuff. I was right. Like, 
it's fine. I was like, I'll come help you. Like, I'm just giving you shit. It's fine. <laughs> I was like, can't believe you thought that I needed to get up and do something even Rude. though I cleaned your entire house for four hours straight. And it was great. Oh, my gosh. But it was just a good weekend. Good. And this upcoming weekend will be good. Don't really have anything to do. Mm-hmm. We've got I an anniversary those. party to go to for somebody that I've never met. Yes. <laughs> um, my mom's birthday is on Saturday. I won't get to see her, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. Oof. It seems I'll fine. Timer. My grandma's birthday is on the 12th. Oh, my gosh. So much so, happening. Yeah. So, well, I'll just have to plan. A, yeah, we'll come see you this time. Yeah. I can't do it next weekend. No. Because we got a crazy St. Patrick's Day going on. We sure do. With work. You know, I don't like St. Patrick's Day. It's fine. I just. I don't like the idea of getting pinched. I don't look good in green. Good thing is St. Patrick's Day is on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to come to work. Mm -hmm. That's good. That is good. And our event is on the night before. The night before. So we don't have to worry about it then either. And my name is so close to Patrick. (sighs) Yeah. I fucking hate that, to be honest. I've never, ever been... A St. Patrick's Day celebrator. No. You know? Mm -hmm. I I like to get drunk. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't need a specific day (laughs) Uh, to do that. (laughs) You don't have to tell me when, actually. (laughs) Yeah. I'll just do it whenever. Oh, God. Um, But yeah, Mm. it's just like busy, busy. Yeah. I Yeah. My last, my Saturday was super busy. (laughs) Like after you guys left, I was still hanging out. I had some friends meet up. Um, I love hanging out with my friends, but I had invited a few different folks and, um, like, you know, some people show up, some people don't. It was one of those situations. So I was like, yeah, if you're around, I'll be around. Well, then everybody kind of showed up and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to go home now. Yeah. So I did go home. I took a nap. My kids were over. So after I had my nap, we got up and we went to eat at Joe Willie's. Okay. It was so good. I got Mm. loaded fries. Um, and then I don't know what else. We, we went to eat. We just, like, screwed around. We went home. We played Battleship. Nice. Um, it was great. We tried to watch um, Swiss Army Man, but then the kids kept distracting me. So we only watched about half of it. <laughs> but Swiss Army Man was pretty good. So yeah. as much as I saw of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Sunday, I watched. I realized. Okay, so here's what happened. I got Amazon Prime, like, on accident, you mm-hmm. know, like a trial thing. Yeah. And then it started charging you. And, you know, you, like, never cancel it. You're like, oh, shit, I need yeah, to cancel that. Yeah, that's one of those don't. things. Like, here, sign up for this free trial and then for completely forget about it. Yeah. But I'm still going to charge you every month. <laughs> Gosh. And I have, a, I have it set. I need to cancel it on March 20th. And uh-huh. I will. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but there, I was like, well, what I'm going to do is go see what all is on Amazon Prime video. Yeah. That I can watch really quick before the 20th when I have to cancel it. Because it's $12 a month. Mm -hmm. Screw that. Mm -hmm. Anyway. um, There was a documentary called Death of a Child on Amazon Prime. I think it's an HBO documentary. Okay. It is about people who are responsible for their children's deaths by, like, accidental death. Or something like that. Leaving your kid in the car. um, The kid drowned because you weren't there. Um, It was, like, a really non-biased, completely, like, not judgmental documentary, and it was... How documentaries are supposed to be. Yeah, basically, (laughs) you know. Um, But it was, like, so... Like, it stuck with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want to watch it now. You need to. Because we've got... We've got a Christopher's mom has Amazon Prime and we use her. So you use her, use login. her login. Check it. Yeah. Death of a I, child. Death of a child. I'll pull it up just to make sure. I'm sure that's what it is. 
because uh, I was looking for that documentary, um, Dear Zachary. Okay. Do you know about that one? It's like this guy who makes a documentary to his friend's son after his friend has passed. Hmm. Um, but anyway, I wanted to watch that one, and I did. Uh, but then I, I focused more on this death of a child one. So that's my recommendation, as if we were doing that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's really good. Um, I think that's it. I'll that's watch all. it. That's it for me. My Ikea came in. I still have not put up my coffee table because mm-hmm. I'm intimidated. And I need, I need like a block of time. And I just, man, I have not had it this week. Like yeah. Every single minute has been jam-packed. Jam-packed oh. and blocked out. Like, oh, my daughter's going to Ireland in a week and a half. And oh. we had a meeting for that. And then tonight she's got a band um, concert and it's just like Dang one. Girl. I know I've got a meeting at one, a meeting at one thirty, an appointment at two, and then I pick her up at three, and then she has a band concert tonight. So I'm like, we are going to relax between like four and four twenty five today. <laughs> that is the time. <laughs> Mark it down. Nobody's talking. Right. Nobody's moving. <laughs> Maybe an episode of The Office will be allowed. That's it. <laughs> Gosh. And it's going to be the most lighthearted one. Yeah. (laughs) The one that's going to make me laugh the most. Oh, man. That's crazy, though. It's been a week, but we're here. We are here. Panera's on its way. Panera's on its way. Should be here literally any minute now. Any minute. Although they haven't texted and said that it's coming. You know what happens is that every time I order, it shows up like 20 minutes before it says it's coming. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm not bad about that. I'm happy. I'm happy. Yeah, it hasn't even said that it's coming yet. So okay. it'll probably get here before that even says, hey, we're coming. Probably. Um, I think that's about it. Is that it? I think. Okay. Good for us. We did it. Um, Thanks for listening. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's all of it. <clears throat> did you watch that Wine About It video that I sent you? I did it, and I keep forgetting. It's okay. So that's like... The gist of it is he gets drunk off of wine, picks a topic, and complains about it the oh entire time. Oh, my God. And it's so great. And he's so dramatic. Yes. And it's so perfect. And then I don't know. It's been a while since I've, like, watched. But I, he used to – so he used to work for BuzzFeed. I think he still does. I, I recognized him from BuzzFeed videos. But he used to work for BuzzFeed, and he used to do it at, at work. Mm-hmm. And – I don't know if he like got in trouble for getting drunk at work or I don't know what I don't know what happened, but he stopped doing it for a while and mm-hmm. then now he's doing it, but it looks like he's doing it in his apartment. Oh, okay. so I think it's just like his side thing that he's doing now. I don't I don't know. Mm-hmm. Also, haven't like I said, haven't watched it in a while. But mm-hmm. I used to like watch him every week that they would come out. We'd watch him at work, and I haven't watched him like mm-hmm. straight. But he used to say, "That's it." That's all of it. <laughs> like it is like drunk, <laughs> drunken slur, and it's perfect. Oh my god! So you need to watch them. I do. I will. I. You know what? I was like, okay, because I was plotting out my tiny segments of day to yeah. do stuff because I've got to prep tomorrow's show, and I was like, all right, you can prep tomorrow's show while you are, because you know, you, if you're a band mom, you know that you have to drop the kid off like thirty or forty minutes before and come back for the concert. Yeah. I'm not doing that. No, drop them off and then go plop your butt down. Yeah, so I'm going to, while my butt's plopped, that's when I'll plan tomorrow's show. But when I pick Amelia up from school today, I'll watch that video while I'm in the car pickup line. There you go. There we go. There was a really good one, and this was when he was still doing it at 
BuzzFeed mm-hmm. that we, I could watch like over and over and over again. But I didn't when we were talking about it in the meeting on Monday, I didn't have time to like scroll <laughs> right. back that far. So and I don't remember the name of it. So it would have taken me yeah. some time. But I'll find it and I'll okay. send that one to you too. But it's that's like my favorite one and I don't even remember what it is. What I hope happens is I like tried this one and I love it. So I just like get Binge hooked them. on it. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love getting hooked Sounds on like stuff. a plan. I have an addictive personality. No, I have addictive tendencies. Is that right? Sure. I don't know what I'm saying, man. That sounds right to me. Good. I'm addicted to peeing. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> You're fine. Maybe Panera will come right now. Maybe. Did you see that Queen Elizabeth just posted her very first Instagram post? No. Yeah, I just got a notification from E. Hey, me too. I just hadn't I left my... Okay, let's see what she's... Oh, it's on the way. Yes. (laughs) No, don't be sorry about that. You're like, please. Please please don't ever apologize. Okay. Okay. Um, I think we should just chat for a minute until our Panera shows up so we don't have to stop mid-story. Yeah, okay. Um, Got anything good work-wise going on? I haven't updated the Wii checklist, but I literally haven't had any time to do it. It's okay. I am going to do it. We'll see. Maybe I'll have time between talking with Gary and real quick before. Yeah, maybe. But if not, I'll just print the last week's. Yeah, it's no big deal. Ain't the end of the world. We can update it live on the spot. Sure. We're going to have updates probably anyway. So Yeah, that's true. You know. So, I mean, I do really appreciate having a fresh copy every time, though. Yeah, I'm going to print but new ones. <laughs> that's the OCD in me. So. I mean, I like your OCD. It's helpful. <clears throat> I have OCD, act like I have diagnosed OCD, but um, it's not helpful. Yeah. At all. I get that. Yeah. It's distracting, which is probably my issue this week, to be honest with you. I have OCD tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which it's... makes complete sense. It's... Ask, <laughs> ask the seven notebooks worth of <laughs> ripped out, torn up paper that have one letter written on it because the letter's written wrong in the trash can. But... Mm. What am I supposed to do? Uh, you have to start over. Exactly. Like tonight when I go take my planning sheet to do at. You got to take at least I three. I will take three because. <laughs> uh, got to take at least three. I mean, I'm not an idiot. Golly. <laughs> I bought, so Patrick's always got. We both pride ourselves, obviously, in our stationery and the way we write stuff. I guess. But so we always have like. A new notebook every mm-hmm. week or something. Like, right. it's bad. Just to use for a little bit, and then we'll go back to, like, our, our, it's like we have a regular. Yeah. 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 So, but Patrick got this really cute legal pad from yeah. TJ Maxx, and I was like, yo, that's real cute. And it was and on then, clearance. Yeah, which made it even Gosh. better. And so, the other day, I needed, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't need a fancy piece of paper. I um. wanted a fancy <laughs> piece of paper, and I knew Patrick had some, so I was like, yo, can I steal a page of that and she's like yeah and then I t- I took two and she snapchats me and she's like wait did you take two because I think you'll need another one <laughs> and I was like I did take two I've already messed up on the first page but I'm just gonna keep messing up so I can just use that second page I ended up going back and stealing another page from it because I couldn't because I messed up on the second one I'm like oh my god it's like a real thing it is it is oh so while we're waiting here I'll pull this up okay there was a mom in was it in Indianapolis? Yes. Yeah. Where uh, was it in Indianapolis? Let me look up that that story. Um, gosh, I wish I actually knew info I, and not 
fake news and like half-assed bullshit. I think it was Indianapolis, but I don't know. Here, I've got it. Yeah, Indianapolis. I got it right here. Yeah, so the mom, they were missing for how long? What? Not long. Uh, like three, 30 hours. Was that it? Yeah, it was like just a day or not not too much longer. Um, And they found her, what, parked in a neighborhood or something? Yeah. yeah. So um, Indianapolis homicide detectives arrested a 36-year-old mother in the death of her three-month-old daughter. Announcement came about the same time the Marion County coroner started on the baby's examination to determine mm. the exact manner and cause of death. So the mom's husband reported his wife and daughter missing after mm-hmm. she failed to come home Monday evening. Her friends posted her SUV on Facebook to help find her. Tuesday afternoon, a woman in North Indianapolis, a woman in a North Indianapolis neighborhood about 23 miles away from the home noticed the SUV parked outside her house. So she called the police to check it out. They found the mom and the daughter inside medics were called the medics pronounced the daughter dead on the scene deceased mm-hmm. on the scene uh paramedics transported the mom to the hospital with some weather related injuries but didn't know about any other injuries uh, it's been it was very cold during yeah. that time and yeah. the baby was 3 months old yeah so i mean we don't know the cause of death for the baby but what do you think um, well, in the story, it also says, okay, so police announced a preliminary charge of neglect on a dependent causing death. And then the husband of the woman who went missing with mm-hmm. her daughter said that she's been suffering severely with depression. Right. Especially in the past couple weeks, months, whatever. So, oh, she was a teacher. Oh, yeah. I just uh, saw that. So I don't know. I don't. I don't think she killed her. Right. I think something happened in her head. Mm-hmm. They went somewhere. Maybe she was trying to kill both Her, of them. Herself. Herself. Yeah. And she didn't, she knew like, <clears throat> I don't, I don't know. I know. I like know. it feels, it feels very much like, um, I don't think it she was postpartum depression. Yeah. Uh, and maybe she was trying to kill herself. Yeah. Parked in a neighborhood. I mean, we don't know how. We don't have any toxicology reports or any. Yeah, no, ex- no idea. No medical examination from her that has been released. But my initial thought is like, <sighs> since after reading that her husband said that she was, has been depressed, mm-hmm. um, my initial thought is her potentially thinking, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. My daughter can't live without me. You know, yes. Like I can't, I can't be a good mother to her, so I'm gonna kill myself. But also, mm, she can't live without me. So mm-hmm. both of us, you know. I think that I get that. I, that's <clears throat> what that's what I would come to the conclusion of. Who knows? I have no idea. I'm interested to see what comes of. Yeah, this. what what's happened? And I, I mean, okay. So I was, I, I mean, very callously making a joke, being lighthearted. Um, I said that I was going to kill, like, you know, just one of my friends, I'm going to kill you. And they were like, well, you'll have to kill my kid, too, because we can't just leave him here alone. And yeah. I was like, all right, we'll do that. You know, like, <laughs> okay, you're right, you're right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I think that's what I would think if, like, like they can't, my, hus- my husband hates me because I'm sad all the time. Mm-hmm. I can't fix it. So I'm going to take my daughter and I because my daughter can't live without me. I can't live anymore, so. Mm-hmm. He'll have a new life. He can, you know, remarry. Yeah. He'll, he'll Honestly, be fine. she's 36, this mom, yeah. and she has a three-month-old. 
Yeah. I'm 37. If I had a baby right now, <laughs> my my life would come to a screeching halt. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what I would do. Yeah. There's another headline that says, Anderson mother pleads guilty to neglect and death of 23-month-old daughter. Mm. So, not sure what's happening here, but. I mean, <laughs> Indiana, had, like, Indianapolis, there's, it's. It's not what it was when I was a kid. How's no, that? Indy's terrible. It is. I mean, it's not Chicago, but it's it's getting comparable. We don't like it. So I was like going back and listening to our episodes because I kind of got a little behind on like catching up with notes for myself and yeah. stuff. So I went back and we, if you remember a couple weeks ago, that Seymour woman. You had the grandma? Yeah. She yes. did a murder-suicide with her grandson. Yes. And... We said that we'd give an update, so I was like, oh, maybe I should probably check and see if there's a- There's not an update, just FYI. <laughs> but I was up? like, oh, hey. So if you were curious as to whether or not there was an update, there is not There's not update, one. So. Hey, thank you for that update on yeah. the not update. I'm pretty sure that's probably just, like, it, you know? Yeah. Is that us? Did you hear that beep? I heard a honk. Oh, boy. I feel like the Panera people don't lock their cars, though. I know. Normally. Unless it's a new Panera person. We just picked posters up for Wii yesterday, right? So they're yes. not up. Correct. Okay. And the the little posters, the 12 by 18 posters. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones were, that will go up around town. Yeah, I approved those yesterday. So I'm I'm expecting those next week. Okay. Approve three, seven. Expecting next week. Hey! Yeah. Emily, hi. The Columbus website. The Columbus Wii website looks so nice. I was leaving you a note that the website looks so nice. Is this all my food? Is this your food? This is all your food. Damn, right look this at all my food. <laughs> look, how much bread did I get? All the bread. I'm it's pumped. okay. I got extra bread. Too, yes, ma'am. Okay, my bread looks so much bigger than yours. It does look bigger. <laughs> you should have checked them in the bag before you whipped them out. Yeah, been like, oh, this one's mine. Like when you're you getting have, fries out of the bag. You have soup, though. I do. I don't, you don't need a straw. What did you get? You not soup? I got mac and cheese. Is their mac and cheese good? Yeah. I'm really picky with mac and cheese. And if it's not, like, salty, gooey deliciousness, I get pissy. I understand. Thank you. I, you're like, yeah, I know you get pissy, dude. Everybody knows. No. <laughs> Everybody fucking knows. I just like generally all mac and cheese, though. Mm-hmm. Craft blue box? No. No. Except the craft powder mac and cheese. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't like that. Okay. I'm a mac and cheese connoisseur. I don't like that powder shit. Damn, girl. Getting just mad. Just Get kidding. mad about it. <laughs> Get rowdy. They're all like, yeah, no, bye. Mm. I got bacon mac and cheese today. Oh, shit. You know, all right. Priorities. So I like how we both, like the past two episodes, we're like not eating, not, not doing eating anything. anymore. Today we're eating our full meal. Busting it out. You're welcome. I, do I go first? Do we do this every time? We do this every time. Hmm. Hang on, I'll tell you. A lot has happened in the past. It has been so much. Yes, you go first. I did Jonestown first last time. Oh, yeah, you did. That was really good. Mm Mm-hmm. Good story. Okay. I'm going to put my lid on Mm -hmm. because I am so ready for this. Okay. All right, so I already told you who I'm doing or what I'm doing here. Yeah, but frankly, I don't remember, so. Oh, shit, I'm so (laughs) glad. Okay, that pleases me so much. Oh, I do remember. I shouldn't have thought about it. I fucking quit. I'm sorry. 
I shouldn't have thought about it. You know what? If this soup wasn't so delicious, I'd throw it on you. No, I wouldn't. That would hurt. Yeah, Love you. It's <laughs> hot. Please don't do that. Yeah, and it's like thick, so it would Hang like... on, I need to unwrap this before we... Okay. <clears throat> all right, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it with my Amazon Prime Discovery mm-hmm. and all my... Ooh, I'm going to watch all the stuff I can't watch. Uh, the Paradise Lost trilogy is on there. Ooh. So I have watched two and a half of those. I know. Let you're going to go at it right now. Add it real quick to my yeah. list of things to watch. <laughs> and I will also say that um, I was a hardcore MTV watcher in like the mid-90s when this uh, documentary, then the first one came out yeah. in like 96. In 1996, I had, you know... A nose ring, a lip. So this is 96, not 2016. Mm-hmm. So I had a nose ring, a lip ring, an eyebrow ring. I wore black lipstick every day. If you think my wings are intense now, oh. Should have seen you in 1996. I really could have flown away. Um, <laughs> you know, my Marilyn Manson shirt and ministry. Yeah. You know, I was just the coolest thing. Oh, I knocked something off. What is it? It's napkins. We're fine. Um <laughs> So I was, this was one of the first ones, you know, the first one I was trying to think, which I'm not going to tell you now because I have an idea that I think we should do um, the stories that like brought us to love true crime, like the first ones. I think we should do a week of those, but I'm not sure when. But anyway, yeah, um, this was, you know, one of them. It wasn't the first one, but it was one of them. And I was super like, oh, shit, because these guys looked like the guys I hung out with or, Mm -hmm. you know, honestly, they looked like lighter, nicer versions of the guys I hung out with or the girls I hung out with or me. So I was like, what's happening? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, whatever. There was a lot of bullying and a lot of you worship the devil talk. Yeah. It's Indiana in the the mid-90s. So um, this story obviously stuck with me like from the beginning. So definitely go watch. Yeah, it's exciting. I will. All right. Steve Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers were last seen playing together around 6.30 in the evening of May 5th, 1993, a few hours after they left Weaver Elementary School in West Memphis, Tennessee. The first call to report them missing was made around 8 p.m. that evening by Christopher's adopted father. And that's, they make that distinction because there's a lot of like step parents and people in these kids' lives in the early 90s. And it's a, a rule Trailer Park, poor area in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. <clears throat> that's the only time I'm going to make the distinction that that's his adopted father because it really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, by his father, John Mark Byers. Mark Byers telephoned the West Memphis police to report a missing child, eight-year-old Christopher Byers. Ten minutes later, an officer shows up to interview Byers, and he would later say that by 8.30, he had begun searching a wooded area where his boy, Christopher, sometimes played called Robin Hood Hills. At 9 p.m., two mothers, Dana Moore and Pamela Hobbs, called to report their 8-year-old sons, Michael Moore and Stevie Edward Branch, are missing. Initial police searches made that night were limited, but friends and neighbors also searched for the boys uh, that night. A more thorough police search for the children began around 8 a.m. on May 6th, led by the Crittenden County Search and Rescue Personnel. Searchers canvassed all of West Memphis, but focused primarily on Robin Hood Hills, where the boys were reportedly last seen. Despite a shoulder-to-shoulder search of Robin Hood Hills, 
by a human chain, mm. searchers found no sign of the missing boys. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Around, and you've seen those, like, on TV, the guys just, like, walking, like, you can't miss anything. Yeah. Around 1.45 p.m., juvenile parole officer Steve Jones spots a boy's black shoe floating in a muddy creek that the creek led to a major drainage canal in Robin Hood Hills. A subsequent search of the ditch revealed the bodies of the three boys. Okay. It's rough. I'm just going to go ahead and say it and get it out there what's happened. Mm -hmm. They had been stripped naked, and they were hogtied with their own shoelaces— Right ankles tied to their right wrists behind their backs. The same with their left legs, left legs to their left wrists. Holy cow. Each one of them. Their clothing was found in the creek. Some of it had been twisted around sticks that had been stuck down in the muddy bank. Christopher Byers had lacerations to various parts of his body and mutilation of his scrotum and penis. Police initially suspected the boys had been raped. However, later expert testimony disputed this finding despite trace amounts of sperm DNA found on a pair of pants recovered from the scene. It doesn't say, like, and Pamela Hobbs recognized these as her son's pants. It doesn't say anything like that. It's just a pair of pants were found with trace amounts of sperm DNA on them. Okay. Um, Prosecution experts claim Byers' wounds were the results of a knife attack and that he had been purposely castrated by the murderer— the defense would later say that the injuries were more probably the result of post-mortem animal pred- predation is what they say. So they think an animal did it, like mm-hmm. um, Lacey Peterson. Yeah. So they were like, did they take the baby out of Lacey? You know, did they cut this little baby's—I'm sorry, this little boy's, um, you know, penis off? Or was it just, this is what happens when you've been when out you have a the, dead body yeah, for when you've been 24 out hours or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Autopsies revealed that Byers died of multiple injuries, while the other two boys died of multiple injuries with drowning. So it seems that Christopher Byers was, like, the the focused one. Like, mm-hmm. they really they really messed with him. Um, an investigation of the murders looked into several suspects initially, including the stepfather of Steve Branch, as well as two teenage boys who had abruptly fled to California shortly after the bodies were discovered. So there were... Like a few, like what's going on here? What's going on? What's going on there? Um, hmm. The adopted father I mentioned earlier, John Mark Byers. It turns out he has a brain tumor and acts a little strange. If you've seen Paradise Lost, he acts a little fucking strange, dude. Huh. Um, so there's lots of things going on of what could be happening with who hurt these boys. Police on the case felt that due to the nature of the killing and the apparent mutilation of the body of Christopher Byers. There were cult-like and satanic overtones to the murders. Eventually, three local teenagers, Damian Eccles, 18, Jesse Miss Kelly, 17, and Jason Baldwin, 16, were zeroed in on as the prime suspects. These three would become to be known as the West Memphis Three. Authorities focused on Eccles as a suspect because he had shown an interest in occultism. Neighborhood talk said that Damian worshipped Satan— Damian Eccles had been on the local police radar for a little while. He was a 17-year-old dropout with a history of psychiatric problems, including major depression. He wrote dark poems, dressed in black, wore long hair. He had a tattoo on his upper arm and was a self-described Wiccan. Mm -hmm. I feel like that was all very, like, it was, like, becoming a popular thing right at that time. Does that make sense? Like, the craft. What year did that come out? Shit. I don't know. But it is 
Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> In the previous couple of years, Eccles allegedly had threatened his former girlfriend and the boy she had been dating. Um, during part of a several-month stay with his mother in Oregon in 1992, Eccles had been admitted to a psychiatric ward and placed under suicide watch. Police questioned Eccles about the Robin Hood Hills murders three separate times between May 7th and May 10th of 93. Eccles told investigators he had never heard of the boys and that the person who committed the murders was obviously sick. He said he spent the evening of May 5th at his at home with his mother talking on the phone with two girlfriends in Memphis. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, they like my black hair. Um, reported, uh, reporter stated, no, wait, hold on. What am I trying to say? I cut something off. Oh, he reportedly stated that the killer is probably someone local and that he won't and that he won't run. He noted, um, oh, one of the detectives, one of the in, initial investi- investigating detectives noted that Damien likes to read books by Stephen King and has evil written across his knuckles in Sharpie. So you're a fucking kid just fucking around being a nerd. And you happen to have evil written across your knuckles in Sharpie and the cops show up like, hey, did you kill mm-hmm. somebody? I would be like, oh, my God, why now? You couldn't <laughs> have come after I had a shower and this was washed off. Right. You know what I mean? Anyway. Um, if he uh, really wanted evil on his knuckles, uh, then he would have had him tattooed. I mean, he obviously had another tattoo. Yeah, so. he was 18. He clearly did whatever the fuck he wanted. <sighs> like, God. Um Damien Eccles willingly took a polygraph test. The administrating officer concluded that Eccles recorded significant responses indicative indicative of deception. In addition to Eccles, investigators focused their attention on Jason Baldwin, a friend of Damien's who also had evil written across his left knuckles. Like Eccles, Baldwin denied any involvement in the killings, but detectives on the case increasingly thought otherwise. Okay, so here's where they got their big... We're going after these boys. Okay. Investigations might have stalled were it not for the work of a local waitress named Vicki Hutchison. Hutchison told police she suspected the killings were cult-related and that she was willing to play detective. Okay. I know I might have, like, a little bit of... Like, I might be biased because these people in this Paradise Lost documentary, like, they... They remind me of my family. I have a lot of family that are from, like, a rural area I have that are not the brightest. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a lot of heart. They're very passionate about what they think is right and wrong. But they might be very misguided, misdirected. Yeah. That sort of thing. So, like, I understand this type of person, this Vicky person. I, I get it. I don't agree with her, but I get it. <laughs> okay. Did you get it? Sorry. No. How was it? It was good. Okay, good. Thanks for um, asking. <laughs> she believed, okay, Vicky believed that her connection with a 17-year-old neighbor, Jesse Miss Kelly, who sometimes babysat her children and, mo- and mowed her yard, might provide an opportunity for her to explore the secret life of Damien Eccles. So this, um, I think she was a waitress. Yeah, waitress named Vicky Hutchison knew a guy who knew Damien Eccles. Okay. And she wanted to get involved. That's it. What? That is totally, like, as far as I can tell, that's it. Hmm. She knew a guy who knew Damien Eccles. Okay. Um, 
Vicki Hutchison told authorities that Miss Kelly, who was mildly mentally retarded, he has an IQ of 72. I don't know where that lands on the scale. I can tell you. Oh, my gosh. Tell me. My story talks about IQ. Oh, shit. Um, between 90 and 110 is considered average. The average range between 70 and 130 <clears throat> represents about 95% of the population. Okay. So. Um, he was below average, but not. But he could live his life, drive a car, have a family. Yeah. So I will go ahead and say that right now I have a sister who has an IQ in the low 70s. I -hmm. have two sisters with IQs in the low 70s. And they are definitely, um, you know, someone doesn't have to take care of them. But you, you can tell. You get it. You can easily manipulate these women if you so want to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, anyway. Moving on. But they are wonderful people with great lives, families, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would totally let them babysit my, like, children. At, right. You know, like, eight-year-old child. Hey, Trish, can you watch him? Yeah, not a big deal. Um, anyway, Vicki Hutchison told authorities that Miss Kelly, who was mildly mentally retarded, had told her about Damien Eccles, his friend who drank blood and stuff, uh, with the blessing of the West Memphis Police Department, Vicki Hutchison asked Miss Kelly to arrange an introduction to Damien, who she said she would like to go out with. Jesse agreed and shortly thereafter brought Damien over to Hutchison's house and made introductions. Like, she didn't even know him. That's insane. Uh, She told investigators that on the night of May 19th, she and Jesse were driven by Damien in a red Ford Escort. He never had a red Ford Escort or any car, so... Driven in a red Ford Escort to a gathering of witches in a field outside of town where she encountered 10 young people, each with faces and arms painted black. They stripped off their clothes and began, quote unquote, touching each other. She claimed those participating in the orgy used nicknames like Spider, Snake, and Lucifer. Same. Um, (laughs) Offended by the naked activity, Hutchison asked Damien to drive her back home, which he did, leaving Jesse Miss Kelly at the orgy. I thought it was a gathering of witches. Anyway, in late May, Vicki Hutchison and her eight-year-old son, Aaron, met with the met with detectives. So she had an eight-year-old son as well. Okay. While Vicki shared her story about the witches gathering called an S-bot. I don't know. Aaron told authorities that he and the three murdered boys often visited Robin Hood Woods together, and that on one visit to the woods, they saw five men sitting in a circle chanting and doing what quote unquote men and ladies do. Um, on June 2nd, West Memphis police polygraphed Vicky, and the polygraph administa- administrator reported that Hutchison was telling the truth. <clears throat> Convinced by the polygraph results that they had their murderer, the police pick up Jesse Miss Kelly for questioning about 9 a.m. the next day. They tell Jesse, with an IQ of 72, uh-huh. so you are—the police make me nervous, dude, and I'm and I'm a Seriously. sassy, like, kind of can't-shut-my-mouth person. Yeah. Um. They tell Jesse there is a $35,000 reward for information leading to convictions in the case, and if he helps them solve the case, his family will be eligible for the money. They are poor, you guys. It is a trailer park. Yeah. It is awful. I mean, $35,000 looks good to anybody. I mean, I would take it right now, but me in the mid-90s living in the trailer park that I lived in, yeah, yeah, I would have taken it. Mm-hmm. Um, In a polygraph interview, Jesse initially denies participating in either satanic rituals or the murders, but Detective Durham tells another officer Jesse is lying his ass off, 
After hours of harsh questioning, um, Jesse begins to tell the officers what they want to hear, that he and Damien and Jason committed the murders. It was a total of 13 hours. So you get picked up at like 9 Mm a.m. And he... You're there till 10 at night. 10. I mean, he says... This is the later account that he says of his experience. And it's... Man, I don't know if it's because I feel so strongly about this case and, like, the correlations with, like, my life and whatnot. But it's heartbreaking every time Jesse Miss Kelly is giving just, like, a little interview on camera or you hear him talking. I just feel so bad for this person. Mm -hmm. Um, He said, I kept telling them, the uh, detectives, I didn't know who did it. I just knew of it, what my friend had told me. But they kept hollering at me. They kept saying they knew I had something to do with it because other people had told them. After I told him what the three boys were wearing, um, one of the detectives told me, was any of them tied up? That's when I went along with him. I repeated what he told me. I said, yeah, they were tied up. He asked, what were they tied up with? I, I told him a rope. He got mad. He told me, God damn it, Jesse, don't mess with me. He said, no, they was tied up with shoestrings. I had to go through the story again until I got it right. They hollered at me until I got it right. So whatever he was telling me, I started telling him back. But I figured something was wrong because if I'd have killed him, I'd have known how I'd done it. Mm, my God. I know. I know. I know. I just, it makes me so angry. Anyway. It's this David Cam case all over again. Right? Ugh. Working to strengthen their case to something beyond 11 on the 10-point scale because they had been asked, scale of 1 to 10, how sure are you? You got your guy. And they're like, an 11 Oh, my God, douchebags. Oh, my God, I hate it. (laughs) Working to strengthen their case to something beyond 11 on the 10-point scale, police decide to re-interview Vicky's son, Aaron. Okay. Aaron now tells a detective that he actually had been with the three boys in the woods and witnessed their murders. According to Aaron, he received a call the night before the murders from Jesse Miss Kelly inviting him to bring his three friends to the woods the next day where they would all do something. Once there, Aaron said... Jesse, Jason, and Damien slapped his friends. I ran, and Jesse caught me. Then I got away, and he caught me again, and he tied me up. I um, stayed there for about 40 seconds and got untied. And then they, what, just let him go? Yeah. Yeah. He was asked by one of the detectives how he was tied up, and he said, with a rope. Aaron said, they couldn't hurt me because I kicked every one of them with my foot. Meanwhile, he said, doesn't that sound like an 8-year-old trying to, like, Talk about how tough he is. You know what I mean? Yeah, but also, what eight-year-old's going to hurt a grown I'm going to kick teenager. you with my foot right now, and it's gonna, you're going to, like, like I mean, put me yeah, in a headlock. You be, know what I mean? Yeah, being kicked hurts, but what eight-year-old's going to kick somebody hard enough? Like, an eight-year-old weighs 50 pounds, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Good Lord. I know. Meanwhile, he said his friends got stabbed and had their clothes pulled off. Then he said they cut off the private spot. From a distance, Aaron told the detectives he watched as the three teens raped Michael, Chris, and Steve. Police now had a second eyewitness to the murders. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In February, a jury in Clay County Circuit Court convicts Miss— Oh, yeah. Jesse, sorry. I didn't mean to really—spoiler alert. Um, They get put on trial. Jesse is in a separate trial from Jason and Damien— Okay. February 4th, a jury in Clay County Circuit Court convicts Miss Kelly of first-degree murder in the death of Michael Moore and second-degree murder in the murders of Stevie Branch and Christopher Byers and sentences him to life in prison plus two 25-year terms. 
Dang. Yeah. March 18th, Baldwin and Eccles are found guilty of capital murder by a jury in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Circuit Judge David Burnett sentences Damian Eccles to die by lethal injection and Jason Baldwin to life without parole. Mm. I know. In May 1994, the three defendants appealed their convictions. There has been widespread criticism of how the police handled the crime scene. Miss Kelly's former attorney um, cites multiple substantial police errors at the crime scene, saying it was literally trampled, especially the creek bed. The bodies, he said, had been removed from the water before the coroner arrived to examine the scene and determine the state of rigor mortis, allowing the bodies to decay on the creek bank and to be exposed to sunlight and insects. The police did not telephone the coroner for almost two hours after the discovery of the floating shoe, resulting in a late appearance by the coroner. Officials failed to drain the creek in a timely manner and secure possible evidence in the water. There is, <laughs> I, I don't know where I put it, but at one point it says that they put evidence in uh, paper grocery bags that they just like had in the back of the car. Stop. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds to me, like, they were uncomfortable with this group of people that were different from yep. them. And this horrible scenario happened. And they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get rid of these freaks. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Assholes. That's what you're doing. Anyway. I just love to watch people walk around out front. I know. I feel I'm that. I'm so sorry. Don't be. Um, where was I? Okay. Jesse's attorney calls the coroner's investigation extremely substandard. There was a small amount of blood found at the scene that was never tested. And according to HBO's documentaries, Paradise Lost and Paradise Lost 2, Paradise Lost 1996, Paradise Lost 2, 2000, no blood was found at the crime scene indicating that the location where the bodies were found was not necessarily the location where the murders actually happened. So... These boys were murdered somewhere else. There was no blood found at the crime scene. <laughs> they put them there. <clears throat> after the initial investigation, the police failed to control disclosure of information and speculation about the crime scene. Mm -hmm. That is for real. It was running rampant. The boys um, were able, like Damian Eccles was able to give a description of what was going on because he'd heard it in the news. And they asked him, how did you hear about this? And he's like, from people talking about it next yeah. to me, like on TV. Um Jeez. Okay. John Mark Byers. <laughs> Fuck this guy. I feel, I I halfway feel bad for John Mark Byers, and I halfway feel like, dude, stop. Yeah. Fucking stop. Um, the father of, Christ of victim Christopher Byers gave a knife to cameraman Doug Cooper, who was working with documentary makers while filming the first Paradise Lost. The knife was a folding hunting knife. According to the statements given by um, the documentary makers, uh, the cameraman informed them of his receipt of the knife on December 19, 1993. After the documentary crew returned to New York, they were reported to have discovered what appeared to be blood on the knife. Oh, my God. Yeah. HBO executives ordered them to return the knife to the West Memphis Police Department. The knife was not received at the West Memphis Police Department until January 8, 1994. John Mark Byers initially claimed the knife had never been used. However, after blood was found on the knife, he stated that he had used it only once to cut deer meat. When told the blood matched both his and Chris's blood type, he then said he had no idea how that blood might have gotten on the knife. During interrogation, West Memphis police suggested to Byers that he might have left the knife out accidentally. And 
Byers agreed with this. Oh, Byers, my God. I know. Byers later stated that. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I just made a big ass mess. Did you? Oh, I no. mean, I didn't make a mess. It's just. Oh, it oh, just I didn't see it. Get it landed side up. Like Emily. Oh, it's a good thing I don't play basketball. It. It's like I wish you did. <laughs> I fucking wish you did. Um. Anyway. So they were like, hey, maybe it was this. Hey, maybe it was that. Byers agreed to and passed a polygraph test about the murders during the filming of Paradise Lost 2 Revelations, but the documentary indicated that Byers was under the influence of several psychoactive prescription medications that could have affected the test results. Okay. John Mark Byers. Um, They spend a lot of time almost, like, glamorizing his... Condition. I don't mm-hmm. know what his condition is. He says he has a brain tumor um, and that he's going to need it worked on. Uh, he seems definitely off balance in some way, and they just let him go on and on and on and on and on. And it's almost uncomfortable to where a few times I skipped through it because I was like, Ugh, yeah, they're they're really, gla-, you know, just like it was Ugh. it was rough. Um it was really, it was really rough. So, and then the second one, I think they were like, let's go back and see if we can get more info from John Mark Byers. Let's see how much footage we can get of him. Because the first documentary, um, all of the families are involved. They're all talking. People in town are talking. The second one, these guys have been convicted. They're in jail. Now, a bunch of like, not to sound shitty, but, like, smart people who have seen this documentary are like, hey, what the fuck's going on over there? I yeah. wear a black T-shirt. I'm coming to help you. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is basically what happened. Like, famous people and, like, wealthier people got involved and came to these boys' aid. Mm. Um, That's good. Yeah, right? At least somebody's paying attention. <laughs> Following their convictions, Eccles, Miss Kelly, and Baldwin submitted imprints of their teeth. These were compared to alleged bike marks found on Stevie Branch's forehead that had not been mentioned in the original autopsy or trial. No matches were found. So one of the boys' foreheads had been bit by a human, not one of these three boys. John Mark Byers had his teeth removed in 1997 after the first trial, but before an imprint could be made. Of course he did. John Mark Byers is, was also talked about as a suspect because um, he's just so crazy. Yeah. And he was adamant that these three boys killed his son. Um, I mean, he just went on and on and on. It was awful. Mm-hmm. Reasons for the removal of his teeth are contradictory. He claimed that he had seizure medication called Tegretol. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. I think that's what it's called. And he was taking that that caused periodontal disease and that his teeth rotted out. Um, he also told someone that they were he was in a fight defending his son's honor and they were knocked out. Um, after an expert examined autopsy photos and noted what he thought might be the imprint of a belt buckle on Byers' corpse, the elder Byers revealed to the police that he had spanked his stepson shortly before the boy disappeared. So what I didn't mention was after school, um, some of the boys went home, some didn't. Christopher did not go home when he was supposed to. Mm-hmm. And his his dad found him and spanked him with a belt and sent him on his way. So yeah. <clears throat> the only mark that can be matched to someone from the boys is to John Mark Byers. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. That was far from the end of the controversy surrounding the convictions of what people had begun calling the West Memphis Three. Um, The documentary. Okay. The documentary film spawned a movement and soon a website dedicated to gaining the release of the boys was established. It was called WM3.org because it was the mid-90s. Isn't the internet cute? (laughs) It was established. The film also led to—oh, I don't care about that. Um, Concerns that the West Memphis Three might have been wrongfully convicted continued to grow following the release uh, of the documentary. In March 2000 of the film Paradise Lost, two revelations which suggested the real killer of the three boys was John Mark Byers. The Paradise Lost sequel was followed— Two years later, with an exhaustive analysis of the case in her of uh, Mara Leverett, that's the author, in her book, Devil's Knot. I haven't read it. I think my I've mom had it. I've heard of that book. Yeah. I think my mom had it. Um, she agreed that a miscarriage of justice occurred in the 94 trials. In 2003, Vicki Hutchison, who had testified about, you know, all the Wiccan <clears throat> witch yeah. gathering— told a reporter for the Arkansas police that everything she that everything she had told the police a decade earlier was a lie. She reported that she felt compelled to cooperate with police out of fear that if she didn't, the police would take her son away. I don't know why. I don't I don't know how she got involved, why they she thought the police were going to take her son away. I don't know, but she just Jeez. a decade later admits that she lied. Thank you. Okay, another bombshell fell in 2007 after DNA found at the crime scene was retested and none is found to match the DNA of Eccles, Baldwin, or Miss Miss Kelly. A hair found in a knot used to tie up one of the victims is, however, found to be not consistent with Terry Hobbs, the stepfather to Stevie Branch. On the basis of the new evidence, John Mark Byers told reporters that he now believed the three young men convicted were innocent. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank you. You don't say. (sighs) He was, like, insane about it, too. The new DNA evidence failed to convince the judge that a new trial for any of the West Memphis Three was justified, but attorneys for all three appealed uh, the judge's decision to the Arkansas Supreme Court. Finally, on November 4, 2010, the defendants received the first good news in their cases that they had heard from any court anywhere. The Arkansas Supreme Court announced an opinion ordering the trial court to reconsider whether newly discovered DNA evidence or new evidence of juror misconduct. One of the jurors uh, admitted to speaking openly with the attorneys about the case. Oh, good. Yeah. Justified ordering a new trial or exoneration of the three defendants. Prosecutors aghast at the prospect of retrying the case scrambled. They were like, ah, shit. Um, So finally in 2010, they're like, okay, maybe. Maybe we need to look into this a little more. Maybe this isn't correct. Okay. Um, There was another documentary. I'm not really going to talk too much about this. uh, That was put out by Peter Jackson uh, in 2012, strongly suggesting that Terry Hobbs, the stepfather, wear the the friend's hair, Mm -hmm. um, that he was the killer, that he participated in the murders. Um, They note the evidence found at the crime scene, the hair found in one of the shoelaces, matched the DNA of Hobbs, but it also matched that of 1.5% of the population as well. It's one of those situations. Um, A second hair found on a tree stump near where the bodies were found matched that of another man named David Jacoby, who was friends with Hobbs. Okay. 
Um, <clears throat> Hobbs had a long history of abuse, including admitted assault on his wife and accusations of beating children and assaulting his neighbors. Jeez. Yeah. Um, finally, and the filmmakers say uh, from that documentary, from the Peter Jackson one, that the three young men who claim to have been told by a nephew of the filmmaker, oh, sorry, they had found three different young men who claimed to have been told by a nephew of Terry Hobbs that the fact that Terry killed the three boys was a closely guarded family secret. So, like, this Terry Hobbs family knew that he was the true murderer. Hmm. Okay. Um... Did I put that? Yeah, I put that in twice. On November 4, 2010, the Arkansas Supreme Court ordered a lower judge to consider whether newly— Okay, I already said that. Did I print that in there twice? (laughs) Goodness. Hold on. Okay. This is—it's going to be weird. It's all good. After weeks of negotiations on August 19th, 2011, Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly are released from prison as part of a plea deal— Making the hearings ordered by the Arkansas Supreme Court uh, unnecessary. Okay, here's here's the weirdness. The three entered into unusual Alford plea deals. The mm-hmm. Alford plea is a legal mechanism that allows defendants to plead guilty while still asserting their actual innocence in cases where defendants concede that prosecutors have sufficient evidence to secure a conviction. Mm-hmm. So they're still just like, They can get us. Let's go ahead and make this weird deal. Yeah. Under the deal, Judge David Laser Laser. vacated the previous (laughs) convictions, including the capital murder convictions for Eccles and Baldwin, and ordered a new trial. Each man then entered an Alford plea of, like, guilty, but I'm not. Yeah. To lesser charges of first and second degree murder while verbally stating their innocence. Judge Laser then sentenced them to time served a total of 18 years and 78 days, and they were each given a suspended imposition of sentence for 10 years. If they reoffend, they can be sent back to prison for 21 years. Okay. Many of the men's supporters and opponents still believe them gu- who still believe them guilty were unhappy with the unusual plea deal. In 2011, supporters pushed Arkansas Governor Mike Beebe to pardon Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly based on their innocence. Beebe said he would deny the request unless... There was evidence showing someone else committed the murders. Okay. Damian Eccles now lives in Salem, Massachusetts with his wife, Lori. Although it won't win him back 20 lost years and means constantly ripping wounds back open, he continues to fight for his exoneration. In his new life, he has gone paragliding in New Zealand with Peter Jackson, known to many as the— Yeah, he directed Lord of the Rings. We got that. Um, And he's become (laughs) friends with Johnny Depp. It's not such a good name drop anymore, but whatever. In a 2013 article in Rolling Stone magazine, Johnny Depp said of Damien Eccles, you expect a time bomb, but he's so kind and loving and open to the possibilities of the world. He's the strongest human being I've ever met. Hmm. Jesse Miss Kelly is one is the one member of the West Memphis Three who has maintained a low profile since his release. He lives and works in West Memphis and is reluctant to talk to the media. No shit. Yeah, I would be too. <laughs> My God. Jason Baldwin, who <gasps> taught classes to other inmates in prison, helped produce a feature film about the West Memphis case called Devil's Knot. Hey, starring Reese Witherspoon um, as 
Pam Hicks, the mother of victim Stevie Branch, and Colin Firth. I don't think I've seen this. Have I seen this? No, I haven't seen it. As defense investigator Ron Lax, he says he'd like to work on behalf of the wrongly accused and hopes to attend law school. Life is getting better, Jesse Baldwin says. We all lived through this horrible time in our own way and got through it differently. So now I guess we all have a different way of healing. Damn. Yeah. That's a good one. Right? That was really good. So uh, there's no, no one's been, I mean, as far <sighs> as I saw, I was very rushed finishing this today with our packed schedule. But as far okay. as I saw, no one has been arrested for these murders. Yeah. It's just an unsolved murder. Aye. Lots of theories, though, clearly. Yeah, clearly lots of theories. Shit. Okay, I'm going to try and get through this in uh, Well, you know what? Minutes. I saw Gary leave uh, about 20 minutes ago, and I haven't seen his car come back in, so... Oh, just get cool. to okay. get to talking. All right, so, <laughs> um, so. eat your food. Sorry I'm so if excited. it's cold. <laughs> no, it's good. I love it. It's perfect. All right. Edmund Emil Kemper the third. Stop! <laughs> My boyfriend. Your boyfriend. <laughs> uh, Ed Kemper was born December eighteenth, nineteen forty-eight, in Burbank, California, to Clarnell Stage and Edmund Emil Kemper Jr. His parents had a stormy marriage and separated when Kemper was nine and divorced four years later, and he pined for his absent father through a succession of stepfathers. In their new home of Helena, Montana, his domineering mother and sisters belittled him. Mm. He, his ever-increasing size was an issue for his mother even when he was a preteen, and she constantly reminded them of this. Mm. Excuse me. Get it. Ed Kemper was very intelligent with an IQ of 136. I knew that. Um, an IQ between... I stated this just a few minutes ago. IQ between 90 and 110 is considered average. Over 120 is superior. Roughly 68% of the population has an IQ between 85 and 115. And the average range between 70 and 130 represents about 95% of the population. So everybody's pretty much average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, even though he had a very high IQ, he showed sociopathic behavior from a very young age. He tortured and killed animals acted out weird sexual rituals with his sister's dolls, and once and once said that in order to kiss a teacher he had a crush on, he'd have to kill her first. Me too. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, making the situation worse, Kemper's mother constantly berated and humiliated him, often making him sleep in a locked basement, fearing he would molest his sisters. Clarnell, his, his mother apparently suffered from borderline personality disorder, which resulted in her rage and abuse against Kemper. His mother found him dour and unmanageable, and he was sent to Los Angeles at his own request to live with his father and stepmother. Their reaction to him was the same as his mother's. His strangeness was, his strangeness was threatening, and they were quickly at their wit's end for something to do with him. With frightened exasperation, Kemper Jr., uh, with frightened exasperation, his father sent him away to his grandparents' 17-acre farm in North, in Northfolk, California, during the Christmas holidays of 1963. He wasn't pleased to be left at the farm with his grandparents when the holidays ended, but he began school anyway and seemed to make at least some progress. His teachers at Sierra Joint Union High School in nearby Toll House, California. Do they make Toll House cookies there? I mean, do they? I don't know. This sounds like a great place to live. Yeah. His teachers found him quiet and kind of just kept to himself. Uh, He caused no trouble, made average grades, drew no no undue attention to himself apart from his size. At home with his grandparents, the situation was tense but bearable. They found him disconcerting, and had, as had his mother and father, but he kept busy and out from underfoot, 
with his dog and a 22 rifle given to him by his grandfather. Yikes. He shot rabbits and gophers and shot birds, even though he had been warned not to, but evidently contained his aggression to this one outlet. <clears throat> so it's like, don't shoot those birds, but more importantly, don't shoot me. Yeah. It's like, you can do, you mm. can shoot animals, that's fine, but don't kill the birds and don't kill me. Right? <laughs> um, at the end of the school year, he returned to his mother and his sisters and Hel- Helena, apparently to spend the summer, but within two weeks, he was back at the farm. Upon his return, his grandma commented that he had regressed. He'd seemed more sullen, more ominous, and now he wasn't in school. He was always at the farm. Like, mm-hmm. he never left. His violent fantasies returned, this time starring his grandma. He imagined her in the outhouse as he shot it full of holes. He lined her up in the sights of his rifle and thought about what it would be like to kill her. As the tension at the farm mounted, his grandmother grew more ner- more nervous. She took she took the grandpa's forty five caliber pistol with her on at least one outing for fear it would fall into Kemper's hands. Um, she had warned him not to touch it. Obviously, didn't trust him to listen. Maybe this is what happened with that grandma murder-suicide. Maybe. She was saving us from another Ed Kemper. Maybe. Uh, Kemper took this lack of trust as an insult and brooded on it. All summer long, the tension grew. On August 27th, 1964, just two months away from his 16th birthday, Kemper shot his grandmother while she sat in the kitchen table putting putting the finishing touches on her latest children's book. When Kemper's grandfather returned home from the grocery store, he shot him as well. He then called his mother, who urged him to call the police. When the police questioned Kemper, he said he, quote, just wanted to see what it felt like to kill grandma. My God! Yeah. Um, And that he had killed his grandfather because he knew that he would be angry with him for what he had done to his grandma. At this point, Kemper was committed to... Atascadero State Hospital, located on the central coast of California in San Luis Obispo County, halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco. It's an all-male maximum security facility that houses mentally ill convicts who have been committed to psychiatric facilities by California by California's courts. There, he befriended his psychologist and even became his assistant. He was intelligent enough to gain the trust of the doctor to the extent of being allowed to prisoners' tests. Did that make sense? He gained the test, trust of his doctor and was allowed, like, to see other mm. people's mm-hmm. exams and that kind of stuff. Within the knowledge he learned, uh, he was able to impress his doctor enough to let him go. <clears throat> Against the wishes of several other doctors at the hospital, Kemper was released into his mother's care in Santa, in Santa Cruz. He later demonstrated further to the psychologist that he was well and was not and not only managed to convince the doctors that he was better, but to also have his juvenile record sealed forever. That's insane. Yeah. He shot his grandma. Yeah. But he convinced these doctors that... Because he's so smart. Yeah. He would convince me of so much stuff. I know. Oh. <laughs> uh, Kemper's mother was an administrative assistant on the University of California at the University of California at Santa Cruz campus. She was competent and well-liked, and the absence of her son had given her several years of relative peace. But verbal battles loud enough to be heard by the neighbors began upon his arrival at her duplex in southern and suburban Aptos. She still lectured and blamed him, and he would later claim that she hounded him relentlessly about matters as trivial as getting his teeth cleaned. So she's, like, insane. Yeah, why? (laughs) Could you imagine letting, like, you killed grandma, but come on. Yeah. Come home. I want to argue with you about going to the dentist. Yeah. 
Um, he often sought refuge at the jury room, a local bar frequented by off-duty police and deputies. He was still fascinated by law enforcement. Oh, um, he wanted to be a police officer, mm-hmm. but he was too tall. Yeah, because how tall was he? He was six foot nine. Mm, and he had a beard. Yeah, but he was <laughs> like, I guess the police police departments have a height requirement. Like you can't, I don't know. I don't know if they do now, but then. That's he crazy. Was too tall. Sorry, you're too big. So, yeah. Um, which I mean, wouldn't you want this big burly guy to be on your right? police force and be like, scare the shit out of Imagine these people? Imagine if Big Ed Kemper got out scare of his patrol car. shit out of these hoodlums. Because you were going too fast. No, yeah. thank you. Um, so he was still fascinated by law enforcement and what and mm-hmm. spent many hours discussing um, the merits and shortcomings of, I obviously did not write this sentence. Right. Uh, spent many hours discussing things like guns and ammunition with the officers. Mm-hmm. He was respectful of them, and they referred to him as Big Ed. Uh, Kemper took various positions as a laborer, finally securing a job with a, with the Department of Transportation in California, which enabled him to move out of his mother's home and into an apartment in Alameda, which he shared with a friend. Still, mm-hmm. uh, his mother continued to berate and belittle him, and then he quickly rec- and he quickly recognized he quickly wrecked his motorcycle twice. Uh. The Department of Transportation gave him time off to recuperate from his broken left arm after the second accident. With an out-of-court settlement, he bought a car that looked very much like an unmarked police ve- police vehicle. Mm. He equipped it with a radio transmitter, a microphone, a large whip antenna, and he began to pick up hitchhikers. Small and pretty female hitchhikers. Oh, no. He watched how they reacted to him. He learned how to make them trust him. He delivered them safely to their destinations. And privately, he indulged in his violent fantasies, imagining what he would do to his captive hitchhikers when he finally got all of the details taken care of, all of the possibilities seen to. He began to outfit his car for future plans. The antenna came off. The passenger door was rigged to keep it from being open from the inside. Plastic bags, knives, guns, and a blanket went into the truck. Kemper picked up girl after girl, treating each as sort of an experiment, waiting for his moment. It Mm. took a while, more than a year of picking up girls and letting them go. But on May 7th, 1972, that moment finally came. Okay, Mary. Okay, I'm going to probably butcher all of these women's last names because I. Yeah, they're difficult. So I apologize. Marianne Pesky and Anita Lucci's. That one's a hard one. Miriam Pesky and Anita Lucis were students at Fresno State College, and they were hitchhiking to Stanford University after a couple days in Berkeley. They never reached their destination, and the families of both filed missing persons reports, mm. though it was hard to get the police to pursue with such a case with gusto, with so many runaways and transients around the Bay Area. Girls disappeared all the time, only to turn up sooner or later with this or that friend or boyfriend or mm-hmm. whatever. Even if the police had sprung into immediate action, it wouldn't have done any good. After driving them around for a bit, Kemper took his gun out from under the seat, pulled off into a deserted area. He put Anita in the trunk of his car and turned his attention toward Mary, toward Marianne. He handcuffed her, laid her across the back seat, face down, put a plastic bag over her head, and and attempted to strangle her with a length of terry cloth. She bit a hole in the bag, and the cloth snapped. So good for her. Yeah. But frustrated, Kemper pulled out his knife and stabbed her repeatedly. Eventually, he slashed her throat. He removed Anita from the trunk, and with a larger knife, he began to stab her. She fought and screamed, but he eventually wore her down. No, there's someone out there, but I'm looking at you. Okay. Uh, That Donnie kid is supposed to be here any second. Yeah. For his interview. Yeah. So. Yeah. uh, He drove around with the bodies in the car for for a while, deciding what to do. Eventually, he brought Marianne's 
he brought Marianne's body into his apartment where he undressed and dissected her. He also beheaded Anita's body. Marianne's body was buried in the plastic bag he'd used to try to suffocate her, and later Kemper would lead police to this site. He kept both their heads. I'm going to nix that sentence. He's tried to suffocate her. Okay. Uh, He kept both of their heads for a while, eventually disposing of them in a ravine. Marianne's body was found and identified in in August. Neither Anita's head nor her body was ever found. No one suspected polite, clean-cut Edmund Kemper Kemper for anything inappropriate. So he continued to prowl. On the evening of September 14th, 1972, he picked up Iku-ku, a 15-year-old dancer of Korean descent who was on her way to a dance class. She had tired of waiting for the bus and decided to hitchhike. Mm. Iku caught caught onto his plan quickly and panicked. He convinced her that he was planning to use the gun to kill himself and that if she didn't try to signal the police or passersby, she wouldn't be harmed. He drove into the mountains and turned off the main road, parking out of sight. He taped her mouth, tried to suffocate her by putting his thumb and his index finger in her nostrils. Okay, first off, like, that's just a weird thing to do in general. Right. But this six-foot-nine giganto guy in this little 15-year-old's nostrils, do you know how uncomfortable oh that would have had to be? Ugh. Why does he have so much trouble killing him? I don't know. Hmm. Um, she fought but lost consciousness only to awaken again moments later. <sighs> Kemper began to suffocate her again, this time continuing until she stopped breathing completely. He removed her from the car, laid her on the ground, and then raped her. With her own scarf, he strangled her, and when he was absolutely sure that she was dead, he put her body in the trunk and drove away from the scene. He stopped soon at a local bar and had a couple of beers, and after that went to his mother's house. From time to time, he would open the trunk and gaze at Iko. Late that night, he brought Iko's body into his apartment and placed it on his bed. I got a burp, but it's not coming. Um, Let me burp you real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he dissected her just as he had Marianne and Anita, and, and then he disposed of her head and hands in a different location than the rest of her body. Very little of her ever turned up, and her disappearance was not thought to be related to Marianne and Anita. Oh, Yeah. Four months passed, other victims of killers were other victims of other killers were found in the Bay Area, and public concern was aroused. But Kemper was under no suspicion for any of the killings. On January 8, 1973, he bought a 22 caliber automatic pistol, even though he was forbidden to own a firearm because of his prior crime. He had no trouble with the purchase in spite of his record, but he feared that eventually the police might catch on to the fact that he was in illegal possession of a handgun. He stepped up his cruising and killings killing activities that very day. He picked up Cindy. Oh, I meant to put her last name, but I don't know. He picked up Cindy and drove her into the hills near Watsonville, where he forced her into the trunk and shot her with his new gun. The bullet lodged in her skull. Kemper had recently moved back in with his mother, so he brought the body to the duplex in Aptos and into his room there. And when his mother left for work the next morning, he had sex with Cindy's corpse. Oh, my God. He dissected her in the bathtub, taking great care afterward to wash away all traces of what he'd done. He removed the bullet from her skull and buried the head in his mother's backyard. Later, he threw the body parts, which he put in, bla- he put in plastic bags, off of a cliff. This time, however, the body was discovered within 24 hours. Kemper took notice but wasn't worried. He'd been extraordinary, extraordinarily careful, and within a month, he was ready to kill again. On the night of February 5th, 1973... Kemper and his mother had a ginormous argument, and he stormed out of the apartment, keyed up and ready to strike. He picked up Rosalind Thorpe, 
and engaged her in conversation. Shortly after he stopped for another hitchhiker, Alice Louie, I don't know. Mm -hmm. She had no trepidation about getting in the car, and especially because Rosalind was already in there. Um, And there was a UC Santa Cruz parking sticker from the university that his mom worked at prominently displayed. So she's like, oh, it's another college guy. Right. They rode around for a while, and this time Kemper didn't even stop the car to do his killing. He drew Rosalind's attention to a lovely view off to the passenger side, and as she looked, he slowed down, drew his twenty-two, and shot her in the head. Quickly, he pointed the gun at Alice in the back seat and fired several times. Unlike Rosalind, she didn't die immediately. He shot her again point blank once he got out of town, killing her. Pulling into a cul-de-sac, he quickly transferred the bodies to the trunk. He stopped for gas, went to his mother's duplex, which he left again real quick, claiming that he needed cigarettes. Once outside the apartment, he pulled the car to the street, opened the trunk, and beheaded the bodies. Like, he's just doing this, like, in the middle of the street. I mean, and also, this might sound weird, but I feel like serial killers who shoot people, that's weird. Mm -hmm. Shooting is so, like, not personal. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And he's ob- clearly very getting very personal. Yeah. Yeah. Once out—oh, I already said that. Uh, the next morning, he brought Alice's body inside and had sex with it in his room. He also brought Rosalind's—he also brought in Rosalind's head so he could remove the bullet that had lodged in it, as he had done before with Cindy's. He drove away from Santa Cruz to dispose of most of the body parts, then on to Pacifica to get rid of the heads and hands. I think it's interesting that he does the heads and the hands. Yeah. You know? Uh, Kemper's mother never seemed to show any suspicion that he was up to such cruelty. On Easter weekend, roughly a month after the killings of Rosalind and and Alice, Kemper waited all night in his room while his mother slept peacefully. At 5.15 in the morning, he got a hammer from the kitchen and went to her bedroom. He struck her once very hard and then slashed her throat. Within a minute, he had killed and beheaded her, removing her larynx in the process. He tried to put it down the garbage disposal, but the machine spat it back out, which he found darkly appropriate and not at all surprising. He later told the police, like, that's what I expected oh because God. she would never quit yelling at me. Uh, Dude. Yeah. He hid her body in a closet and cleaned up a bit, then left the house. That afternoon, he pondered what to do. Oh, my God. <laughs> pondered. Uh, and decided that if someone else were found dead with his mother, the, spi- the suspicion might point away from him. Returning to the duplex, he called Sarah Hallett, a friend of his mother, and invite her to dinner. I saw somewhere else in another article that it was Sally Hallett. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know which one's right because I, I like you, I kind of ran out of time to yeah. <laughs> do We more. were running low today. So I'm going to call her Sarah because that's what this one article said. So okay. I apologize Sarah it if it's Sally. <laughs> uh, he wasn't able to reach her immediately and he fretted about his plan until she called for his mom around 5 p.m. He made the invitation saying the dinner was a surprise for his mother when she arrived, he strangled her first manually and then finally with the scarf that he had, he had taken from Iko. He then removed her clothes, put her on his bed, and sometime that night attempted to have sex with her corpse. Oh, my God. On Easter morning, he left town driving east in her car. Fearing discovery, he rented another car and dropped off. He rented another car and dropped off Sarah's car at a gas station, telling the attendant that it needed repair. He drove for 18 hours, stopping only for gas, sodas, and no-dos. Oh, same. He, he was stopped in Colorado for speeding, but his seemingly stayed quiet appearance uh, hid his crimes. He paid his fine and moved on. Finally, exhausted, he stopped in Pueblo, Colorado, 
I almost said Pueblo Cablorado. Oh, I would love to go there. Sounds Let's delicious. Let's go to Cablorado. Uh, he stopped in Pueblo, Colorado, and placed a call to the Santa Cruz Police Department, where he already knew several of the officers and began his marathon confession. Um, oh, he did that because he was, like, pissed off that nobody was talking about anything. Yeah, yeah, so I remember So he was that. like, forget about this. I'm going to turn myself in. Uh, the initial contact required several calls. First, he had to convince the Santa Cruz police he wasn't a crank caller. <laughs> then he had to help him find him. Then he was disoriented and wasn't quite sure how to lead the police to the, to the Pueblo phone booth where he was calling from. When he was finally taken into custody, a party of investigators from Santa Cruz headed for Pueblo where they would, find, where they would question Kemper about the crimes for which he claimed responsibility. As their tape recorder, as their tape recorder rolled, Kemper talked giving incredibly explicit and detailed confessions to all eight murders. Um, I also, I don't know if it says it later on mm -hmm. or if I just forgot to add it in. He also had sex with his mother's body. Like with the head? Yeah. Yeah, I remembered that. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't put that in there or if I put Maybe it in later. Maybe you just blacked it out because yeah, I was like, fucking fuck this. horrifying. This is terrible. <laughs> but he, did, he dismembered her and, I mean, obviously he got his... Mm. her larynx out but he dismembered her and then had sex with her dead body which is nasty he just likes dead bodies man yeah upon his return to Santa Cruz Kemper led investigators to the various disposal sites where he had used disposal sites that he had used and continues his seamless oh my gosh his seemingly endless confession where he was finally finished no <laughs> no. When he was finally finished, he'd been so mm. thorough that he left his court-appointed court public defender, James Jackson, no avenue for defense except that of insanity. So he was like— I mean— I mean, he confessed completely, and the only thing that they could do is claim insanity. Gotcha. A series of witnesses was brought in to try and establish that Kemper was not responsible for his crimes, but the prosecutor undermined the testimony of each one. I mean, that's what happens when you have that explicit of a confession. Yeah. Prosecution witness Dr. Joel Fort did the most damage to Kemper's insanity defense. He had spent quite a bit of time reviewing his case, going all the way back to his diagnosis after killing his grandparents and during his time at Atascadero. Atascadero. Abracadabra. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what? I thought of Pinky Tuscadero. Yeah. That's all I could think about. I was like, yep. Um, he had also interviewed Kemper, drawing out previously unknown information about his sexual practices with bodies and even cannibalism. Mm. Kemper was not a paranoid schizophrenic, Fort said. He was obsessed with sex and violence, and he craved attention, going so far as to slash his own wrists with a ballpoint pen during, a tri during the trial in an ostensible—that is a word that I do not know—suicide mm. attempt, and that he was not insane. Furthermore, I think I even looked up that word and— to, like, replace it so I wouldn't get confused by it. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, furthermore, Fort said that if he were ever released, he would kill again without a doubt, and he would kill the same sort of victim. During the three weeks of the trial, no witness, not even Kemper's sister or his doctors from Atascadero, <laughs> Abracadabra, <laughs> I really just wanted to say it, uh, was able to convince the jury that Kemper was insane. They deliberated for only five hours, and they found him guilty of first-degree murder on all eight counts. After a short observation stint at the Vacaville Medical, <laughs> Vacaville Medical Facility, he was, sent in, he was sent to the maximum security prison at Folsom for the rest of his life. 
Kemper remains behind bars since he was put away in 1973. Countless other serial killers, many just as brutal and depraved as he, have captured our attention. This is obviously a quote, a copy <laughs> and paste. Uh, Kemper, as if to maintain his place in our consciousness, remains eager to speak of his crimes. He has done extensive interviews with FBI special agents John Douglas and Robert Ressler, which were aimed at providing, aimed at building the FBI's serial killer profiling program. In 1988, he participated along with the notorious John Wayne Gacy in a satellite broadcast during which each killer discussed his crimes. I want to find that. Right? <sighs> Holy shit. That'd be so... I would probably cry the entire time, but it'd be so cool to watch. Um, as always, he was talkative and explicit and seemed to have garnered quite a bit of psychological insight into the nature of his crimes. So he, like, knows why he mm-hmm. did it. In prison, he was well-behaved and cooperated... In prison, he's been well-behaved, cooperative, and seems to take great pride in his status as the, quote, genius serial killer who aided in his own capture and conviction. He knows, just as everybody else does, that his release would lead to tragedy, and he's aware of and has resigned to the fact that he's not going anywhere. Ed Kemper remains among the general prison population and is currently incarcerated at California Medical Facility in Vacaville, California, which is also where Charles Manson was held for a period of time. Mm. I like that. Um, A couple pop culture notes. Mm -hmm. Author Thomas Harris based the Silence of the Lambs character Buffalo Bill in part on Kemper. In the book, uh, Buffalo Bill was a serial killer who, like Kemper, had begun his career by impulsively killing his grandparents as a teenager. There's also a lot of songs and bands Mm. and song lyrics that are inspired by Kemper. And then Netflix's Mindhunter series introduces Cameron Britton as Ed Kemper, and it is spot on. Yeah. It's Perfect. He's so good at it. Oof. I just want the next season of Mindhunter to come out. I'm so I bad. have to I have to get into it. I'm bad. I, I can't get into it yet. You have to. I know it's the relationship between the one detective and the other guy and the, the girl. The girl, yeah. That's throw that makes it but because I don't care about it. Yeah. But <clears throat> that's such a that's probably takes up maybe a fifth. Okay. Of the show. All right. It seems like a lot because you're like, this doesn't need to be in here. Who gives a fuck about this part? Right. But it's really not that much. And he's worth it. And then, not to throw any spoilers if you haven't watched it or whatever, but they do a Richard Speck character in there Mm. as well. And it's, that part is like. Yeah? Yeah, it's great. Shit. Yeah. All right. If anything, just find the episodes and like scroll through and watch the scenes that he's in. Because, uh, yeah, I, I mean, might he have does to do that. so good. So that's Yikes. Ed Kemper, everybody. Everybody. Um, I don't have to go because now he wants to meet after the meeting. Oh, okay. I bet that won't happen, but it's fine. So that's all. That's all I wanted to say. Okay, cool. Um, thank you so much for doing Ed Kemper. You're welcome. Golly. So it was kind of <laughs> funny because I was debating between him and somebody else. I'm oh, not going to tell you who because God. I'll do him. Um, I was debating between him and somebody else, but you said you wanted to do an episode where we do like what got us into it. Yeah. Like what started this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that other person that I was going to do is that person. Ooh. So it just worked out. All right. So. Is your, is the one that you, that got you into true crime, is that victim based? Is the, is the victim that drew you in or is it the murderer that drew you in? It's the killer. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. What about you? That's the victim. Okay. It was well, a victim-driven 
love for true crime. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Next week? Next week. Let's okay. The special. Because otherwise we're going to forget. I know. <laughs> I, I know. I know. <laughs> I forget so much. Oh, it's okay. okay. I do too. I was thinking about that this morning. About how much, how bad my memory is. Because yesterday, I went with Sarah to do an interview for a video that we're making. Mm-hmm. I'm making. I meant to ask you and how that went, but. It went It went fine. It was mm-hmm. real quick and easy. But, and I was sitting there, or I was sitting there this morning, and I was like, I don't remember anything that Lindsay said. I mean. I remember nothing. None of the words that came out of her mouth. And I was thinking, I was like, I don't even. So we went and dropped a check off at the Bartholomew County Jail. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Blondie's. And then you went home and that's all you remember. Yeah. And before before we went into Blondie's, Sarah's like, I couldn't find the original questions we were going to ask. But Gary had a couple other ones, too. So she wrote them down. And she was reading them to me. Couldn't remember those. Can't remember those ones. I couldn't remember them five minutes later when I was asking her questions. Right. And I was just like. I don't, I don't remember anything that Lindsay said. Nothing at Damn. all. Damn. <laughs> which, which sounds so shitty. No, I, but I like, get it. But, <clears throat> like, I totally get it. No idea. I repeat myself all the time because I just don't remember that I said that already. Yeah. I mean. My mom and I, I think I've told you this, I don't know, but my mom and I have an ongoing joke because my mom's memory is pretty bad, too. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're both going to end up in a nursing home at the same time, and we're going to meet each other and become best friends every single day. Oh, my God. That's cute. Yeah, it's a terrible joke, but it's funny. It's really cute. Because it's probably going to happen. Because <laughs> she'll end up in, like, the nursing and assisted living. Right. Like, normal time. Mm-hmm. I feel like, because my memory right now, 21 years younger than my mom, is just as bad as my mom. <sighs> So I feel like we're like, I'm going to be there. We're That's just going to go in at the same time. My brother's going to have to put us in at the same time. <laughs> Your brother's going to be like, it's fine. Those bitches won't remember me in a week. <laughs> right. but, Do you think your memory's as bad as mine? Maybe you just don't know the full effect of mine. I, just, I try yeah, to I just like, I try to bluff around it with all my notes. That's that's why I have to write everything. If yeah. I don't write it down or you don't send me an email or I don't have some physical thing that I can refer back to, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. Yeah. I will forget. Yeah. I also remember stupid things. Yeah. Like little stupid things. Yeah. I don't I can't give you an example cuz I don't remember. It's fine. Cuz you don't remember. <laughs> oh my god. But if I were to if you gave me like a list of projects mm-hmm. I needed to do, and then you gave me a list of your favorite ice cream. <laughs> and then gave me two weeks. I'd remember your favorite ice creams, but I couldn't tell you what projects you needed me to do. But favorite ice cream is important. It is. <laughs> I don't know. That's just the best example I could come up right. with. Right. No, but I totally get I it. I don't remember anything that happened really yesterday. I remember like bits and highlights, but. I'm I get like, it. Jesus Christ. I was sitting there this morning. I was like. Sometimes, because, like, every morning we do the what did you do last night. Sometimes I'm like, uh, um, I don't remember. <laughs> what did I do last night? Yeah. I'm like, Thankfully, I'll tell you what I did Sunday. <laughs> my nights my nights the past, like, week and a half have been the exact same. We oh get home. Gosh. We eat dinner. We watch Shit's Creek. We go to bed. We watch an episode of Shit's Creek and Ben, and then we sleep. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. I'm tired already. Um, There's something else I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Guess what? What? I don't remember. Fuck. <laughs> 
Christ. Oh! So, remember when we had lunch at the garage? Yeah. And there was someone there at the bar that we got a message about? Yes, 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 yes. Did I tell you that I saw that someone yesterday? You saw him? Yeah. So, I'm out with my son, and my daughter had therapy, and so we took her to therapy, and then right across the street, we walked across to the thrift store, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's not a great area, but whatever. Yeah. We're used Mm -hmm. to it. Um, So, me and Ivan walk across to the thrift store, and we're, like, checking shit out. I bought um, a bunch of weird shit. I don't know. I bought Dan that koozie. Did you see that koozie? I didn't see that koozie this morning. I was... He only likes the koozies that self-stand because, you know, they all are, like, foldable now. Oh, yeah. So when I see an old one, I check he likes it out. The, like the thick ones. The thick ones okay. that stand up on their own because, you know, he drinks a Diet Coke every day and not any coffee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Because he's like an old farmer guy. Like, if you know Dan Fleming, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So I bought him a koozie at San Susi yesterday that said, do you believe in love at first, sw- at first sight? Should I walk by again? <laughs> and I feel like that's perfect for him. That is perfect. So um, I was there buying that crap. Uh, yeah. I bought Amelia a pen, a rose pen. I bought Ivan a keyboard. <sighs> like a yeah. keyboard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know um, why I could have just said <clears throat> piano keyboard. Doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. Just I like that. <laughs> I want him to learn how to play that. Ivan. <laughs> I'm going to make him listen to this part and he's just going to be like. He's going to be like. <laughs> Oh, anyway, um, I saw him, and he saw me, and definitely recognized me. Yeah, made eye contact. No, I don't and like starts it. walking over to where we're no. at, Mm-mm. and so I like immediately shift my attention, like turn my back to his direction, and start talking to Ivan like hard. You know what I'm yeah. like? Hey, Ivan, what do you think about this? Ivan, I think I'm done shopping. Let's go. And we like got the fuck out of there. But the good thing is, oh, he follows God. me through the door, like definitely follows Ivan or the guy, the guy. Okay. That's what I thought. We pay, yeah, we pay and we get ready to go. And then he, you know, like, we get like one parking lot, one car length away from the door. And here he comes. And I was like, you know what? The good thing is I'm going into this building with like a ton of fucking offices over here. Nondescript. I mean, there's like 20 offices in the building. Yeah. So you don't know what office I'm going to. Mm -mm. You don't know what car I'm getting into. That's like the only thing that made me feel better about it. Yeah, that's good that you were going inside somewhere else. Yeah. Instead of like <clears throat> popping in your car. Yeah, all right, Ivan, let's go home and let's let this man follow us. Okay, so just backstory uh-huh. on this guy for everybody. Yeah. So Patrick and I were at the garage for lunch and we have a mutual friend mm-hmm. who works at the garage. Right. And we were sitting there talking and then there was a, there's this kind of alarming person sitting at the bar. Right. It was lunchtime. He was drinking a little bit, like yeah. a little bit more than normal because there were like some shot glasses out in front of him. It's, yeah. it's like 11.45. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're sitting there and we're talking. And then this our mutual friend who works at the garage texted mm-hmm. Patra and was like, yo, is this guy creeping you out? Right. And we didn't notice because we were sitting there chatting and bitching and We moaning. were clearly just like talking some crazy shit about yeah. people. <laughs> and then, so we leave and Patra looks down at her phone like, yeah. we get in back in my car, and Patrick looks down at her phone, and our friend had texted her and was like, yo, he just walked out, like, 30 se- not even 30 seconds after you guys walked right. out. And she was like, do we—she's like, we were all like, do we follow him? Do we fight him? Do we tackle him? Do we call yeah. the police? What do we do? <laughs> Patrick and I didn't even notice. We did not notice he followed us For having all. a true crime podcast and being true crime fanatics, we, you know, you would think we'd be more aware of our <laughs> surroundings. However, <laughs> and— 
And then the mutual friend messaged Patrick on Facebook with a mm-hmm. screenshot. She, no, she saw him elsewhere. She had like, he talked to her, remember? Yeah. He she talked followed to her, gave him, him out. Gave him her number. Gave her his number. Yes. And so she somehow found him on the criminal justice right. docket of whatever information and found that he had been convicted of rape in right. 2009. Which, I mean, yeah, people can change, obviously. Okay, but that was, that was 10 but, years ago. Yeah. But that's still freaking creepy. Yeah, don't be raping anybody. <laughs> and, then, and then that's terrifying that he saw you there and, I like, know. followed you. I know. That's terrifying. I know. Like, I was so happy to have my giant-ass son with me. I mean, he's the sweetest boy, but yeah. you definitely think twice when there's, like, a 250-pound, oh, yeah. like, five foot nine mm-hmm. son, child, like, with his arm around his mommy. Like, I put your arm around me, Ivan. I love you. <laughs> yeah. Like, protect so me, was, please. Yeah. I was quite glad to have, like, a big son with me yesterday. That's but it was terrifying. crazy. Ugh. I know. I, well, I'm glad you didn't die. Uh, me too. Yeah, I remember what I was going to tell you. Oh. I went shopping at Christmas tree shops yesterday. Yes. And... Was there anything good there? Did you get <laughs> something? Can you not tell me? I did. I did get something. Can you not tell me? What is it? What's the deal? Because you cut that story real no, quick. No, I feel like there was something else that like went with that story. <gasps> this! I found a brown nail polish. Uh- <laughs> And I yes. was like, that's not the same brown no, as yesterday. No, I found a brown nail polish. That's what I had to tell you. <laughs> I went to the Christmas tree shops yesterday after work, and I found a brown nail polish. This Jesus is going to be God an editing Christ. mess for you. I'm so Seriously. sorry. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. They're just going to get— It's going to be more confusing <laughs> for them to listen to than it is for me to edit, because I'm just gonna be like, man, it's that's fine. how the conversation we happened. That. That's true. Oh, man. Uh, Charlotte Russ is closing all their stores. Do you ever go there? No. Yeah. My boobs and my butt are too big to shop there. Yeah, I used to have that issue, but... My... Danielle used to work there. Yeah? Mm -hmm. She used to be a manager. But up in South Bend, obviously. Right. She used to be a manager there. Well, all their stores are closing and liquidating as of today, I guess. And there's an outlet at the outlet mall in Edinburgh. Dude, poor Danielle. I was going to miss out on it. I should probably go figure out what her size is and just go buy her some stuff. Get her some. I mean, it's so cheap anyway. And then the outlet is so cheap. And now it's going to be like going out of business sale cheap. Oh, boy. I know. Okay. I need some of those stupid like tiaras and headbands that are cat ears. and. Yeah, I might need one of those. Yeah. Jewelry, purses, shoes. Fuck. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Yeah, baby. (laughs) I guess we're going to Charlotte. I mean, I guess so. Uh, I I was talking to someone about our podcast the other day. And I was like, but I said something, but don't worry, Emily burps or something. And they were like, yeah, she's a burper. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm really not in like real life. She's a burper. Like in real life, I'm really not. It's just whatever happens here, it's like. I feel like in real life, I burp more than you do. Yeah, for real. Yeah, because I'm always like, oh, sorry, because I just forget that you're here. Yeah, I forget that I'm around people. Yeah, I don't I don't burp a lot in real life, but I don't know what happens when I get in here, but it's just like burp central. Maybe it it's is. because I'm talking and expelling so much you're in, air. I wonder if you inhale a lot. I must. Hmm, I don't hear it. Usually, when, usually I've got an ear for it because when I'm talking to someone that I'm interviewing and I hear them inhale, I'm like, I'm cutting every one of those out because mm-hmm. I'm like, <sighs> and I hate that. 
inhale yeah. to get started, and I cut them out every time. Yeah, because <clears throat> we got to talk a lot, and we got to talk for a long time, and we got to, like, keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got my wisdom teeth out, I sigh really deeply, like, all the time in the video because <laughs> my mom videoed me, and I realized that watching myself do that while completely out of this world, I realized how much I actually sigh so deeply in real life. <laughs> Like, you think I burp a lot in real life? Or do you think I burp a lot here? Right. Like, all of my burps here compared to my real life sighs are equivalent. I have I, heard you sigh a few times. Like, I when I heavily come out, sigh all the time. Especially when you have your earbuds on and it's morning and, like, no one's around. I'll hear, like, and yeah. there's, like, a, a pause, like, a dramatic pause <laughs> at the top of it. And I'm like, damn, I think what what's is, going on over there? I think what it is is because I, like, forget to breathe sometimes. <laughs> Or I just don't breathe deep enough, mm-hmm. so I just kind of, like, catch back up. I'm going to start checking on you. Like, when you check on your <laughs> newborn baby and you're panicked, they're not breathing, and I'll just blow a breath of air in your face. I'll be like, <laughs> what's, what's that? You get me, like, an oxygen monitor that a you A CPAP machine yeah. for, for daily life for when you're awake. <laughs> just give me an oxygen tank, and I'll be golden. Oh, my gosh. Now that we've made fun of, like, four different health. I swear I'm to God. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> We're going. We don't mean it. We love everyone. We're for, going. I mean, for the most part. Straight to the bad place. The bad place. Have you seen The Good Place? I have. So that's. I have. I'm not current, but I yeah, have. I'm not either. Christopher and I binge watched that before we started watching Shit's Creek. And we were like, I was like, at least there's another season on, like, live TV right now. So yeah. it'll be on Netflix not too long. But we, wa- I mean, we watched the it's shit a good out one. of that. Yeah, it was really good. Some of these shows are good. I've been uh, watching a lot of uh, Full House. Yeah. 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 That's. I just really like shit. Something's wrong with my because, life. God, it fucking cracks me the fuck up. It's I hilarious. love your face talking about it. So. It's hilarious. Oh, we got to go. I got. Yeah, this. we got a meeting. We have so. a meeting in four minutes. Fuck. Who schedules this shit? It wasn't me. I just attend. Yeah, seriously. And host. Um, Thanks for listening. Remember to share with your friends, comment, subscribe, rate, and we'll see you next week. Yeah. Toodles.